Well, good morning. I like that little bit of applause with a good morning. That's great. <laughs> My name's Greg Surratt, and I used to work here. It's a beautiful, beautiful day in the low country. Would you agree with me? I tell you what, what a wonderful day. And if you're not in the low country and you're watching online, uh, we wanna say we're glad that you're with us. If you're an offsite campus, I know when, uh, when I travel, I went to uh, Greenville just a couple of weeks ago, enjoyed worshiping with you guys. When I'm away, I'll watch online here. What a great community. Glad you guys are, are along too. Uh, I've, I've been asked a lot of questions, so I thought I would take just a minute at the top end of the message and talk just a little bit about the coronavirus and what we're doing and what's happening there. Some of you say, what is that? You obviously have no money in the stock market, okay? Um, the, uh, uh, the, you probably have seen that the Center for Disease Control has said, be aware, uh, this virus, you know, it started in China and is spreading throughout the world and uh, they tell us that, that, that right now there's uh, one death in the United States, and um, uh, uh, that, but they say that there's going to be uh, a lot more uh, coming our direction. We don't know. We're not sure. Um, right now, flu is a bigger threat than uh, the coronavirus is to us, and, and we, we'll treat them the same way in a sense. And that's this. Um, if you're sick, stay home. Okay, we've got an online campus and just watch at home. Uh, we're, we're not gonna quit having church and services, and, but uh, we're gonna do our best to be as, uh, as, uh, as wise as we can. And uh, listen, don't be the judge of whether somebody else is sick or not. How do you know that in the low country there's lots of pollen? So you can sneeze and have a runny nose and it has nothing to do with, with any kind of virus. Um, also, um, We'll have an abundance of hand sanitizer available. You probably already noticed that as you came into one of our campuses or here. Uh, what was amazing, somebody told me just earlier that our facilities team saw this thing coming and uh, they got ahead of it and got uh, sanitizer to sanitize this facility uh, that is hospital uh, type thing and all of that. And so they've been spraying it. They're gonna continue to spray it. They did want, want me to mention that they didn't get to the top section. And uh, so... They did, they did. Um, we'll probably adjust a little bit about how we interact with one another, maybe more so as it goes on, but we're not gonna ask you during our force fellowship. Force fellowship is when we say, turn to your neighbor, you know, and it's, a, it's an introvert's nightmare is what it is. And uh, so we're gonna become a, a more life-giving church for introverts uh, over the next few weeks, but uh, we won't ask you to shake hands with one another or hug or fist bumping. We will elbow tap, maybe... Uh, Maybe hip check, I don't know. Ask for permission <laughs> before you do that. And uh, we have a disaster relief team <clears throat> already looking at future responses. We've got a team here that, that uh, when a disaster happens, either locally or around the world, they move in and go, how can we? And I believe that regardless of what happens, we're not gonna be in fear and God is gonna be glorified through his church in all of this. Would you agree with that? And so, uh, yeah, so let's pray. Let's pray. Father, I, I pray right now uh, for those who have been impacted. For us, it's easy to say it's not a big deal. In some places, it has been. Uh, we pray for those who have, have lost loved ones, those who have been infected. 
God, we also pray for the scientists, the doctors, the medical community as they work very hard uh, to mitigate this. And so we ask that your kingdom would come and wisdom would come. In your name we pray, amen, amen. So have you ever been in a restaurant and made a mistake uh, in, in how you ordered because you didn't significantly clarify the type of food that you wanted? Let me explain that. Let's say you wanted a sausage. There are lots of kinds of sausage. I've got them displayed up here for you. You've got kibasas, and I can't pronounce the second one. You've got bratwurst, Italian, chorizo. You've also got patties and links, so you need to be real clear because you can order the wrong thing and it ruins your meal, right? Now, there are some food groups that are more important than sausages in getting this stuff right. And here's another one, the uh, peppers. You need to know the difference between a bell pepper and uh, a jalapeno. How many of you would say amen to that? <clears throat> so a few years ago, Debbie and I, several years ago, Debbie and I were traveling through the Midwest and um, we got hungry uh, as we were passing through Des Moines, Iowa. Has anybody ever been to Des Moines, Iowa? Iowans are great. I met some Iowans in the foyer. I'll meet a lot more after I say what I'm gonna say right now. <laughs> but I met some after last service. In fact, the our worship leader that'll lead the last song is from Iowa and his parents have a restaurant in Iowa. But Iowans are great, but it's a little bland as far as food, would you agree? I mean, it's just kinda, and so we're hungry, we stop at a Chinese restaurant and uh, I said, could you spice it up a little? And they said, how much? And I said, just go for it. Put the whatever pepper that you've got. I'm from Colorado and I'm thinking this is Iowa, how hot can it be? Yeah, it was really hot. In fact, it was so hot, my wife was laughing about the illustration. She said, you need to tell them, you were totally red. Not just your face, but your whole body was red. <laughs> we made a, we, we almost went to the emergency room. It was that bad, I couldn't breathe. And I made a major culinary error because I didn't know exactly how to order or what to call it. Well, James chapter two and verse 14 through 26, which is my assignment, we're on um, a study verse by verse through James for the next few weeks, says that just as there are different kinds of sausage and peppers, there are also different kinds of faith. And it's vitally important to your spiritual life, to my spiritual life, that I understand the different types of faith because it's gonna impact my daily activity and it could impact my eternity, as you'll see in just a few minutes. And so today I wanna to talk to you about the three different types of faith that we see in James chapter two and verse 14 through 26. Let's just jump right in, got a lot, lot to cover in a short amount of time to do it. Uh, the first type of faith is this, dead or useless faith. Dead or useless faith. James two and verse 14 says, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? You probably don't know it, you may, but that last question there, and this particular verse, is one of the most controversial verses in the entire Bible over the last 500 years. See, 500 years ago, the 1500s, 
If you were a Christian, you went to the same church. It was called the Catholic Church. Catholic, small c Catholic, just means universal. The universal church. Everybody went to the same church. And then something happened in uh, the 1500s. A Catholic priest, uh, well, actually the church split. I'll tell you how it split. But there was a church split, okay? If you've ever been through a church split, you know how nasty that can be. I heard about a guy that was on a desert island by himself for like 40 years and they finally came and rescued him. And as they did, he said, would you mind if I showed you around the island? I've been here for 40 years. They said, yes. They saw three structures. He said, what is that? He said, well, the first one, that's my house. The second one is where I go to church. And the third one is where I used to go to church. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. But anyway, the church split to, to where you had Catholics and Protestants. And Protestants then became a whole group of Presbyterians and Methodists and Baptists and, you know, uh, whatever. Uh, and how it split was one of the ways is that a Catholic priest named Martin Luther, have you ever heard of him? He got upset at the church because he saw a lot of things going on that were not just doctrinally impure, but um, they, they were corrupt in some things that, that were happening. And so um, there were a couple of things that, that really got him going. There were 99 things that he had a problem with, but there, there were a couple. And the first one was called indulgences. And indulgences had to do with the way to reduce the temporal punishment for sin after death. Um, the Catholics at some point along the way had come up with a, a doctrine of purgatory was so that if when you died and there were certain sins that you had committed, uh, you need to spend some time kind of working them out, okay, before you could uh, experience eternal life and you could uh, pray for your, uh, for your loved ones and you could get an indulgence which kind of shortened the amount of time that your loved one would be in purgatory. And it had gotten commercialized. Uh, they were in a building program. They were trying to build St. Peter's Basilica. Anybody ever been here? We've got a picture of it uh, on, the, uh, on the screen. St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, Italy. They were trying to build that. They ran out of money, trying to figure out how can we raise money for this. And so they sold indulgences. In other words, stroke a check, have a better afterlife. That was kind of the, the phrase of the, well, it could have been the phrase. And so he was mad about that. He was also upset about this concept that salvation and eternal life are not earned by good deeds, but are received only as the free gift of grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what split the Protestants and the Catholics at that time. And so he got excommunicated. But here's what's interesting about Martin Luther. He didn't like the book of James. In fact, this verse that we're talking about right now really bothered him. He'd rather have it out of the Bible. Well, what I wanna do is I wanna take a few minutes and let's really look at it and see if we can't see the context of what James is saying, because I don't think James is disagreeing uh, with either Peter in his writings or, or Paul or Martin Luther in how he would see it. The key to understanding this verse is the order of the good deeds or the good works. If you put the good deeds on this side, say this is the cross, 
And you put it on this side of the cross and say, you've got to do good works and work, 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 work so that you can have eternal life that Jesus came to give, then that's works before faith. But if you put it over on this side and you say, you know what? Uh, it's, 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 it's a gift of faith. It's a grace. It's the gift of grace that's received by faith but as a result of that, there should be good works coming. And I think that's what, that's what he's saying. He, he, he's saying um, that if you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions, can that kind of faith save anybody? And so, and so what, what he, uh, Luther opposed the idea that good works led to salvation. Ephesians 2 and verse 8 says, for it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that nobody can boast. But the next verse, Paul wrote this in Ephesians, for we are God's handiwork. We're, the, the original Greek word is poema. We are the poem of God. You are God's specific handiwork, he says, created in Christ Jesus to do good works for which God prepared in advance for us to do. So what James would say is that works are the fruit of salvation. That you don't work your way into salvation, but if there aren't good works after salvation, then you may not be saved. You may not be saved, okay? Then he goes on and he says this. He says, suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm and eat well. <laughs> he says, you don't give that person any, any food or any clothing. What good does that do? You see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless. And what he's saying is he's saying, people should know that you are a believer by your works, okay? If, if anybody know anybody that, claims to be a believer, but they're meaner than the snake himself? Anybody? Don't point, don't point. <laughs> or maybe somebody prayed a prayer at some point or was baptized at some point, but it didn't change anything about their lives. That's what James is talking about. He says, you ought to be able to tell a Christian by their works. Supposedly, St. Francis of Assisi said this. I don't know if he said it, but it's a great saying. Preach the gospel at all times and use words as necessary. See what I'm saying? All times preach the gospel. At work, at school, wherever you are, you ought to be preaching the gospel all the time. And if necessary, use words. Because our actions should show that we are a believer. Faith without good works is spiritual constipation. Anybody ever been constipated? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> what is constipation? It means that you got stuff coming in, but you don't have anything going out. And faith without works spiritually is that way. See, when you get spiritually constipated, it becomes all about you, and you become a spiritual hoarder. We need to recognize that God gives you resources so that you can bless others. In other words, real faith reaches all the way to your Venmo account. How many of you know that? So if you see something, you know, uh, when we started ARC, um, the church planting organization, 
And by the way, we planted our 900th church last week. Really awesome, really awesome. And, um, and, so, and so, uh, so when we started ARC, a lot of church planting was what we call y'all go ahead. In other words, somebody would come to their pastor and say, I wanna plant a church, and they wouldn't give them anything. Certainly not people, probably not money, but y'all just go ahead, right? And that's what James is talking about. So we formed ARC so that we could give resources, and money, and relationships, and all of those types of things. And so James would say faith without works is useless. So here's a question. How do you recognize Christian works? How are they different than just regular good works? Let me explain it like this. A lot of times when we come to church, we kind of get this image or this idea that all the good people are in here and the bad people are out there, right? I mean, we're the good ones, they're the bad ones. It doesn't work that way. In fact, in fact, I know, uh, I know some people that don't have faith. I know a couple of atheists who not only don't have faith but are opposed to faith that are really good people, really nice people, loving people kind people. In fact, uh, I know some people that, are, that don't know God that are very generous, very generous. I mean, um, there are philanthropists. We don't know whether you know, all of them are believers or not, but there, there are some billionaires. Um, there's even one running for president right now that has signed a, a paper that says, I'm gonna give everything away before I die. I don't know whether he's a Christian or not and certainly not promoting him or anybody else. But there are people, um, who is the Amazon guy, Bezos? Just gave a $10 billion gift. Nobody's ever given a gift that big, okay? I don't know whether he's a believer or not, but what is the difference between being kind, being loving, being generous from a Christian? How, how can people see us and say, wow, that's a believer? I, that, that is a believer. Let me give you some ideas. Christians love and are loving to their enemies. Oh man, you gotta talk about that again. Yes. That's what Jesus said. They'll know that you're my disciples by what? By your love for one another. And then Jesus also said, love your enemies. He said, some people have said, I preached a message about it a few weeks ago. Some people have said, love your neighbor or your friends and hate your enemies. I say, no, you've gotta love your enemies. And, and let me, let me tell you something, that's not something that you see just everywhere. When you see somebody loving, someone who has taken advantage of them or uh, has abused them or has uh, maybe cheated on them or you know, in, in whatever ways, and you see somebody who hasn't let that get down into their spirit and they truly love that person, I'm not saying they have to get right up next to them and be their best friend, because sometimes that's harmful, but they actually love them. You, you've probably got a Christian there who's full of the Holy Spirit. Christians are kind when others aren't. You know, um, last week Josh did a great message and he's got a quote that's all over everywhere on, on Facebook uh, talking about how that as Christians in the political realm, you know, we've had lots of politics here in South Carolina this week. Praise God they're all gone. But you know what? During this season, you're gonna be able to tell Christians because they're gonna be kind to everybody, okay? 
uh, at work, when other people aren't kind, Christians are kind, okay? When they're full of the Holy Spirit, all right? That, that is good works. And then when they give, they give to the point that they have to depend on God. I remember how that worked for Debbie and I. Uh, I remember when we first got started with this giving thing, we were already married, and it was all about us. We didn't have much money. I heard a message that I needed to honor God uh, with a percentage of my income. We're percentage givers. And it was a major step of faith for us at that point in our life to give God any percent, okay? Because we knew we're gonna have to depend on him. As we've grown and as we've become disciples of Dave Ramsey, um, we have a little bit more you know, discretionary income and so we're percentage givers and we've also created a little fund that is our generosity fund. Anybody can do this. Just take a little bit more, a little bit more percentage, put it away. And it's been fun. So that over the last few years, we've been able to go, just a week ago, Debbie said to me, there's somebody in the church that has a need. I think we should meet that out of our generosity fund. And it's fun to do, fun to do. That's what James is talking about. However, there have been some points in our life since we became percentage givers and and then we have a generosity fund that God has kind of prompted us, I want you to really go out in faith with, with, with your giving this year. Sometimes it's been, you know, building a building. Sometimes it's been in a mission cause that we really believed in that we're gonna have to believe God or the needs aren't gonna be met for us personally. That is something that differentiates a believer and somebody who is generous in giving and who's not a believer. And so, and so, so what James says is that, that people should know that you're a believer by your works. If it looks like a duck, if it quacks like a duck, if it swims like a duck, it's probably a duck, right? Just get it on the bottom shelf here for everybody. But he says, he says that, that, that uh, that our faith is dead and useless if it doesn't produce anything. All right, let's go on. First kind of faith, faith is dead, useless faith. The second one may be even more dangerous, and it's demonic faith, demonic faith. You say, what is that? Well, let's look at it in this scripture. It says, now, someone may argue, some people have faith and others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith for you believe that there is one God. Let me just stop here. Who's he talking to? This isn't a real person. Maybe it is. If he's passive aggressive, it might be a real person that he's preaching to, but he won't say the name. You understand what I'm saying? But it's, it's just a, it represents a group of people and he's, he's talking to you. The book of James is written to Jewish believers. Okay, it's early, it's an early book, so we don't have a lot of Gentiles in the church at this point. It's Jewish believers, and they're scattered throughout the world because of persecution. So you got little pockets of believers here, there, and everywhere that are Jewish believers, everybody is. And what he says is, he says, you say that you believe God is one. Well, that's the Shema. Every Jew, whether they're a believer in Christ or they're not at that particular point, would have recited the Shema every day, which says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is God, the Lord is one. 
And what he says is, you believe that? Good for you. Even the demons believe this. And they tremble in terror. <clears throat> How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? So let's talk about demon theology. Demons have really good theology. They believe that God is one. That's called monotheism in theology terms. So they believe that. <clears throat> they also believe the right things about Jesus. It says in Mark chapter one and verse 23, suddenly a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, why are you interfering with us? Jesus of Nazareth, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Who said that? The demon. So the demon knew what? The demon believed that God was one, and he also believed that Jesus was the Son of God, that he was the Holy One of God. So he believed, good theology. Not only that, demons have great eschatology, which just simply means theology concerning the end times. In Matthew 8, 28, it says, when Jesus arrived on the other side of the lake in the region of the Gadarenes, two men who were possessed by demons met him, and they came out of the tombs, and they were so violent that no one could go through that area. And they began screaming at him, why are you interfering with us, son of God? Have you come here to torture us before God's anointed or appointed time? They said, Jesus, this isn't the right time. <laughs> There's coming a day. They understood, end they had great end times theology, even better end times theology than the left behind books, okay? They did. The demons had good theology, but they don't have a saving faith, okay? Some churches emphasize good theology. We wanna have good theology here. But some churches emphasize good theology, but they're not very loving. I had a conversation with the leader of a church planning organization, a large one, just a few years ago. And they prided themselves, and that's a key, prided themselves, on good doctrine and great theology. In fact, they would look at other people and kind of examine their fruit and uh, out somebody if they didn't have theology that they felt uh, rose to a level of the theology that they had. And so I'm sitting down with their leader. And I said, you need to be careful because the Bible has a warning for you. You guys are doing great works, but you're gonna devour each other. In fact, in Galatians chapter five and verse 13, it says, for you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. What does that mean? What do you think of when you think of sinful nature? Sometimes you think of acts or you know, uh, bad thoughts or whatever, and that's true, but in this situation, your sinful nature is uh, prideful thoughts. You know, we... We want to be the one that has the information and other people don't. Have you ever been in a situation where you said, all of my friends knew before I did? Did that make you feel happy? No, you're mad. But if you're the first one to know, <laughs> yeah, because information is power, okay? And it can cause us to be prideful. And so he says, don't use your freedom to satisfy your simple nature. Instead, use your freedom to do what? To serve one another in love. 
For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out, beware of destroying one another. Good theology, but they're destroying one another. Weren't very loving, and I've watched that once great organization implode upon itself. As I was preparing for a message this week, I got sucked into a YouTube channel. Has anybody ever been sucked into a YouTube channel? You ever, let me tell you how that happens. Uh, I have a hobby of guitars. I'm not very good, but I just know that the next one I buy will make me better. And so what I was doing, it's just like golf clubs, okay? That's why they get new models every year. You'll get better if you buy new ones, right? And so, so I, was, I was researching a guitar on YouTube. And while I was minding my own business, doing research, there came up this thing that says, you might be interested in. Have you ever seen those? Those creep me out. How do they know what I might be interested in? Because they're right most of the time. I hate that about technology. And this particular one, I'm watching this guitar thing, and it says, you might be recommended for you. And it, it was a video that said, why our church, how do they know I like church stuff? Why our church no longer plays music written by and that a couple of names of churches? I thought, wow, I wonder if Seacoast is one of those. And so I started watching and it was this theological, it was pointing out all the theological flaws of actually some of the churches that we know and I'll just kind of leave it there. And, uh, and, and it was a whole sermon on, uh, and I got sucked into it. And, and then I found out that the person that does this has a whole YouTube channel on outing bad theology. And there was another sermon in there that was about how essential oils are of the devil. <laughs> and I thought, I kind of agree with that. You need to laugh at yourself. Everybody else is. Might as well. But uh, here's what happened. As I started getting sucked into this idea and conversation, I saw myself. Listen, we do freedom course here. And some of you are in the freedom course right now. And it, you'll have opportunity throughout the year. We're just piloting some stuff. You need, to, you need to get in. One of the things we teach is the difference between the uh, living your life in the in the uh, in the tree of life as opposed to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God intended us for, to live our life in the tree of life, but we get over here into the knowledge of good and evil. We want knowledge and we wanna know what's bad and all this kind of stuff, and it just sucks the life out of you. Just sucks the life out of you. And there's a lot of stuff out there right now that'll, that'll do that. And so, uh, so, so, so anyway, the spirit wasn't loving, it was prideful. And then I looked up 1 Corinthians 8, 1, the Lord brought it to me. It said, now regarding your questions about food that has been offered to idols, that's a theological question in, in those days. He said, yes, we know that we all have knowledge about this issue, but while knowledge makes us feel important, it is love that strengthens the church. Now, I wanna tell you something. We're gonna have good theology at Seacoast, but we're gonna err on the side of loving in this church. That ought to get a good amen. amen. We're gonna err on the side 
of loving because, because that, that's, that's what faith does. So James says, don't settle for just good theology. Even demons can have that. Don't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? So dead and useless, demonic faith. Here's the third kind, authentic faith. Authentic faith. And here he uses illustrations, two Old Testament illustrations. And let me quickly just, just touch on them. First of all, he says, don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions? This is important that you get this. Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions. Did his actions make him right with God? No. He was shown to be right with God by his actions. I'll show you how that works. When he offered his son Isaac on the altar, you see his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And, and so it happens, just as scriptures say, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called a friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do and not faith alone. Let me just break that out a little bit. So he's talking about a time in Abraham's life when Abraham is called to give up, to sacrifice his only son. Now it ends up he doesn't do it only because God stops him. But that's, he's saying that at that point he was shown to have faith but that's not when faith came for Abraham. In fact, faith came for Abraham many years before that when God appeared to him and told him he was gonna make, make him a father of many nations. He says, I don't have any kids at all. How's that gonna happen? And God said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna give you a son. And at that point, Abraham believed. He believed. He had faith, okay? But between that time and when he was asked to sacrifice his son, he did all kind of goofy things. He told, at one point, well, twice actually, he said that Sarah, his wife, was actually his sister. Uh, he tried to, to fix things in his own power, caused all kinds of problems. But when finally his faith was proven by his obedience to God in sacrifice, you don't see that after that point in Abraham's life. So the other day we went out to eat. We go out to eat a lot. In fact, we're thinking about selling our stove <laughs> and just getting a membership to like Outback Steakhouse or one of those. So we went out to eat and this was one of those places that kind of had funky decorations, kind of, you know, trashy chic, I think it's called, something like that. And uh, so, so the wait staff came and took us to our table and, and there was this chair, this this rickety old chair. And she said, here's your table and here's your seat. And I looked at her and I thought, it's a chair. I, be I believe it's a chair. I had faith, believed it was a chair. I did not have faith enough to take action because I don't know if you've noticed, but I am not a thin person. And I thought, this chair could end up with me on the ground, all right? So that's how faith works. You believe, I, I, I believe this is a chair. Do you believe that's a chair that you're sitting on right now? You took action, but when, when, when you sat down. And that proved your faith. Abraham believed when God said to him, I'm gonna give you a son. 
He sat down when he said, I'll sacrifice my son to you if that's what you require. Because Abraham believed that God was good, that God was able. He didn't understand his circumstance, had no idea what was going to happen, but he believed that God was good. And God intervened. But at that point, his faith was proven by his action. So, so then there's, there, there is, there, there's one more illustration and, and we'll be done. And I'm glad this one's in there. It kind of seems like a little bit out there, but I'm glad it's there and I'll tell you why in a second. It says Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. I love the fact that Rahab, the prostitute, is included as a good example of faith in action. You know, a lot of times we read these stories and they're just words. But this story of Abraham being willing to sacrifice his son, I can't read that without imposing the father that I am on that story. When you read about Rahab, the prostitute, you know, there's never been a 10-year-old, 12-year-old girl that her dream was when she grew up, she's gonna be a prostitute. It doesn't work like that. Probably means that there was some abuse, may have been sexual abuse, may have been an economic situation. During those days, perhaps her husband died that put her at the, at the bottom of the social heap. Maybe she just had to make ends meet for her and her children. But she's in a bad place. And she hears about a God who is able. She puts her faith in the God of Israel. Uh, the Israeli army is coming to, uh, to attack their city. They send some spies in early to see how they should do it. And Rahab says, I believe in God. Let me help you. And so she hides the spies and she gives them an alternative route out of town. And when she does that, she proves her faith. Did her actions save her? No. What saved her was her faith in God. But what her actions did is prove that she... Uh, she believed. God wins a major victory. Her actions were the key factor. And I love the fact that she's found in Matthew chapter one in the lineage of Jesus. And here's the point I thought when I read that whole story. This is the end of the message. God is always looking for an underdog that he can make a hero. She's an underdog. Somebody who will take a, a step of faith, who's willing to act on their faith. And you know what? There are some underdogs here today. You don't have to be a prostitute to be an underdog. Maybe people just um, uh, don't treat you like they do other people. Or maybe people don't believe that you're capable. Maybe in your job, in school, she can't learn. He'll never be. And God loves, God loves to make a hero 
out of an underdog. I, I, I'm grateful I live in America where we love hero stories because there are hero stories all through the Bible. Faith without works is dead, but authentic faith changes your life. So what about you? What kind of faith do you have? Where do you lean? Maybe it's dead, useless faith. Maybe, you, maybe if you honestly looked in the mirror and you say, you know what, I haven't changed much since I've come to know God, or maybe since I've started coming to church, maybe it's dead, useless faith. Or maybe it's demonic faith for you. Maybe theology's right. You're strong on theology. You believe the right things about God and Jesus, but demons do. But there's no love. There's no, there's no heart change. Or maybe it's authentic faith. It's changing the way that you live. And let me just say this. God's not looking for perfection. We move in and out of all of this. God's just looking for progress. It's not am I perfect because you're not. Jesus was. It's am I better than I was last week and last month. And if you're not, just repent. Just repent. But I want to go to God right now, and I, I want to ask him to challenge us to the core as we respond to him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time together. Thank you for this wonderful group of people who've gathered together on this day to worship you and to learn from your word. God, I pray that you would go by your Holy Spirit way beyond what I've taught and touch our hearts in ways that we need, we need it. Lord, help us to take faith steps toward you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. So we're gonna respond to God and there are several ways.